Bokatov, good morning. Our Ramona Shiras, the series is sponsored this year. We're very grateful to Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, who sponsored in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbard, Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvein Nassan, uh, who we continue to think about every day. I also want to uh, mention that it is in the merit of our brothers and sisters in Israel who continue to um, be exposed to rocket fire. Over 200 rockets have been launched at them in the last uh, day. And uh, I always hesitate to ever mention this because I don't like when Amun is built on these types of things. But when you think about the fact that 200 rockets could be launched at, at a country and Bali Ayin Hara, not one casualty, it's, if that doesn't increase your sense of Amuna and a sense of faith, then uh, it should. It should when you consider what are the odds and what are the possibilities and what are the implications. So we think about our brothers and sisters and our learning should be in the merit of their safety and security and that they should have the lasting and complete peace that they, uh, that they truly deserve. Okay, we're on page Pebez with the cars. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone saw the video that came out yesterday, the lo- rockets that landed in the highway and exploded. And if you saw that video, there were cars going on the highway and it was like cars just passed and there were other cars that were not yet there and you saw the rocket explode on the highway. So... Um, Instead of being hit. Yeah, thank God. So thank God. So we dive in for their safety. We shouldn't have to rely on stories of miracles, but uh, hopefully in the natural order, they can have a sense of, of peace and of tranquility. Okay, we're on page Pei Beis, Be'amunasa Yechia which is Revol B'Sefer of Tzvi, Tzadik Ba'amuna Yechia, how we're only really alive when we live with Amuna. person who doesn't have Amuna is, is not alive. I had an interesting phone call last week, I'm continuing it this week, with uh, someone who contacted me over email because they were forwarded these Amuna Shirim, and they're struggling in their Amuna. They've really lost faith in Hashem, and, uh, and they're struggling to lead an observant life to a young person. So you get an email like that, and you want to make that phone call, whether they're a member or not. So we began a conversation that hopefully will continue. And in it, and, and he's a wonderful person, the fact that he was in the struggle and hasn't given up is already winning the struggle. I always tell people that. When they say, I don't know, I just don't know, I'm losing, I'm a failure, I feel terrible about myself, I say, if we're having this conversation, you're winning. If you cared enough to initiate and to make contact, if you're still struggling, then you're far ahead of most. Because most who become complacent and complicit, most who become simply uh, happy, they've excused themselves, they don't even want to be in the struggle. If you're still struggling, to a certain degree, you've already won. So one of the things he said, and, and I'm not picking on him, I don't know if he's still listening or not, so I'm certainly not picking on him, I'm picking on all of us, but he said, one of the reasons that I struggle is, where is God in my life? What has he done for me? If I would see his hand and things would work out the way I want, because he has certain things not going the way exactly he wants, then I would believe. So I said, you don't, you don't see God in your life? Where is he in your life? So let me ask you a question. Did you wake up this morning? Yeah. Are you healthy? All your faculties are working? You're able to see and speak and your feet and your hands? Yeah. You had a roof over your head and a warm bed to sleep in? Yeah. You had food to put in your mouth and a car to drive? You were telling me that you have a job to go to when you're in school and you got into school? Yes. Where is God in your life? Who says you're entitled to any of those things? Mm-hmm. How many people woke up this morning and were missing or lacking any one, if not many, of those things? 
So you'll say, well, but that's the given. That's like the benchmark. That's the standard. I'm supposed to wake up and I'm supposed to have health and faculties and I'm supposed to get to go to school and work and do the things I want. Who says? Who says? So you can look at all of that and take it for granted and say, that's the way it's supposed to be, but where's God to help me win the lottery? Where is God to make the world operate and function exactly the way I want? Where is God that he broke up with a girl? Again, I don't want to reveal too much. I said, maybe God saved you from that girl. Who, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God saved you from God. Did I tell that story about the guy who was given the tour around jail? And he meets one cell, there's a man, and he's crying and he's screaming and he's screaming the name Esther, Esther, he's banging his head against the wall, Esther, and screaming Esther and Esther, and he's pacing back and forth and he's pacing. So the visitor, the guest asks the warden, what's the story with that guy in the cell? And he says, you know, there was a woman that he fell in love with and that he wanted to marry and she broke his heart and he's never been the same since. And all he does is pace and yell and scream and bang his head, Esther, Esther, this woman. They continue the tour, they see some normal uh, people and normal cells and normal, and they get to another cell and there's another man yelling, Esther, Esther, and he's banging his head and he's pacing. So, so the guest asks the warden, he says, tell me, this, he also, Esther also broke up with him? And the warden says, no, he married Esther. <laughs> So, <laughs> as long as you're not Esther, it's a good story. As long as you're not Esther, you're not related to Esther, it's a good story. What's my point is that even when we, we break up and we say, Hashem, where were you? Why did that happen? How did you allow that to happen? Hashem is in the background saying, you fool, you fool. Do you know what I spared you from? Do you know what I saved you from? Do you know what I've orchestrated instead on your behalf? We just said in Siddur snippets, a little Chazara for Siddur snippets. God does the will of those who are in awe of Him. Those who have yira, those who live with a sense of awe and fear of Hashem. Our will, what we want, He does. And our cries, He hears and He saves us. Well, if He's doing what we want, why are we crying? Did it ever occur to you? He does exactly what I want. I got the spouse I wanted and the kids I wanted, the job I wanted, everything I want. I asked for. This is what my will was. This is what I asked for. And He gave me what I asked for. So why does it continue? He hears my cries and He saves me. You know what the answer is? Because sometimes when He gives us what we ask for, then we start crying and He has to save us from ourselves. Because sometimes what we want and what we ask for and what we mutter Him about, and what we relentlessly bother until He gives us was never really in our best interest. It wasn't really what we need. Be careful what we wish for, because you might get it. And therefore, it's on your Of course, we have to live life in pursuit of the things that we think are right for us. I'm not telling you, don't have a job, don't date, don't this, don't that, sit back and just let Hashem. Of course, we have to take initiative. That's life. We have free will. We have to take initiative. But don't try too hard. Don't force the issue. Take our initiative, be proactive, do what we can, and then let go and let Hashem do the rest. Because if we're not careful, He'll do what we want, and then we're going to end up crying out and He's going to have to save us. He's going to have to save us from ourselves. So Tzadik Be'amunasu Yechia, the name of this, every year, every week, we give a little drasha just on the name of the Sefer. Tzadik Be'amunasu Yechia. You're only really alive. You can wake up every day and say, woe is me and where is God and why not? And then you feel alone and abandoned. You feel anxious and worried. Or you can wake up every day, tzaddik You want to feel alive? You want to greet every day and feel happy and full and satisfied? 
then you say, I have what I need and I'm confident that I'll get what's meant for me. And therefore I take my initiative, I'm proactive, but beyond that, there's nothing I can do. Yocheva was at the Rebetzin conference in New York this week, which you'll read more about Mir Tashem in the weekly this week, special guest post. And um, so yesterday, she could tell the story, she's right here, but yesterday she was going back to the airport and left with what she thought was on time, had looked at ways, there was enough time to get to the airport, was on, excuse me, was leaving on time. And, uh, but something happened, hit traffic, standstill, wasn't getting on the turnpike, getting to Newark airport, and ways was showing they're getting so late she was gonna miss her flight. So who wouldn't panic in such a situation? And we spoke, and then we said to each other, wait, every Wednesday morning, this is the example that we give. Every Wednesday morning when we talk about Amuna, we talk about, and so we took a deep breath and we said, here's the good news. You're not missing anything. If you missed a flight, you take the next flight, you sleep over, come back. Like, I got it covered. Of course, behind the scenes, I'm like, God, make her make this flight. Get her home. I can't do this one more day. So I said, no problem. So, so it was a from Uber driver. I said, doesn't your husband speak about these Amuna classes? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's the Ashkacha Pratis. It's an amazing story. You pressed hard. Uber randomly? Yes, at random Uber, Yehuda responds. Pressed, it was, it was a, that's a, that, by the way, that's the best story. And he was racing to get, he felt so bad. I'm doing my ishtadlis, I'm calling JetBlue to see if I get on the next flight. I'm like, right, you know, I, I know that I have to make an effort because this does not look like it's going very well. And uh, and he said to me, he goes, doesn't your husband lecture on a Muna class? And, and, uh, and so we were talking about, yes, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to do it. And if it's not meant to be, and I was calm, and, and, I didn't uh, even know and that part. Things cleared up, and we zoomed, and I made it right in time to board. It was a miracle. Right in time to board, got out of the plane. But isn't that amazing? You press Uber randomly, as if anything in life is random. And I sh- this is such a lesson. You press it, and Hashem sends you the right driver. Here's the driver. I gotta use that in Russia. You didn't tell me that part of the story. That's fantastic. Okay. We're up to the top of page, pay base. If you remember what we last left off with, Rav Chaim Vital, the four elements within a person, water, fire, earth, and wind. Each of those elements, if they're off, if it's corrupt, if it's dysfunctional, if we're unhealthy, it expresses itself in a character trait which isn't working properly. By the way, I want you to know, we would have as enthusiastically told that story if she missed the flight. It's always easy to tell those stories when you made the flight. But you have to see Hashem if you missed the flight. If you make the flight, it's very easy. And then I made the flight in just in time in the gate, and it was wonderful. I got home and lived happily ever after. But if you but if you miss the flight, you have to be able to tell that story. You have to be able to live with that amuna. You have to be able to live with that amuna nonetheless. So, um, so these four elements they express themselves in different bad qualities. We don't address the bad habit or bad quality. If you break a habit, you just have two bad habits. That was. Uh, Remember what we said from the Kotzker Rebbe? So we don't want to break habits, we want to cure habits. If you break a habit, you just have two bad habits. We want to cure the habits, and that's what we've been going through. So the last one was Yisod HaMayim, the idea of water. And again, there's a physical parallel. A human being is made up, I don't remember what the percentage is, a big part of who we are anatomically, we're made up of water. And if there's a dysfunction, an imbalance within the element of Mayim within us, then it comes out in jealousy, and it comes out in lust. Right? So we talked about the fact that Hashem ro'i lo I'm not missing anything. How do you solve that? How do you restore balance? Drink enough H2O and live enough H2O? By living with Amuna. In other words, if you don't have Amuna in your life, you always look at what Yenam has. You say, what does my neighbor have? They don't deserve it. Why do they have it instead of me? I deserve it. But if you say, I have what I need and I have what's meant for me, if you always look with a sense of Amuna that what I have is what's right for me, whether I see it, understand it, appreciate it, whether I'm happy about it or not, then I'm able to uh, overcome 
that sense of envy, that sense of jealousy, and that sense of lust in my life. And Revolva pointed out that when are we supposed to reinforce ourselves in this thought process? Because it's so fleeting. In other words, one minute you could say, I'm good, I have what I need, I don't need anything else. And a minute later, the person pulls up in their car and you say, why do they have that new Tesla? I deserve the Tesla, it's not right. So, you know, it's so easy to lose that thought that we have to renew it all the time. And when do we renew it? So Ravoba told us, every morning when we say the bracha, Shasali kol tzarchi. Hashem, Shasali, you give me kol tzarchi, everything I need. What I have by definition is what I need. I want more, I'm gonna work for more, I'm gonna strive for more, I aspire for more, that's my job. But after I've put in all my effort, whatever you give, I'm happy with my lot. When a person is standing outside the circle, there's the circle of your life, and if you're looking outside the circle, right, there's the circle of my life. My possessions, my material things, my, that's my life. If I'm looking out towards what others have, then all I see is what they have that I'm lacking. But if you look inside the circle and you focus and reflect only on what you have, then you realize I have what I meant to have. I don't concern myself. What other people have is none of my business. There's a great quote, I hope, forgot who said it. Whatever people think of me is none of my business. I love that quote. That's a great quote to live by. What other people think of me is none of my business. Some people mold their whole lives by what other people think of them. It's a great quote. There's a parallel quote, which is, what is it, 30s, at a certain age, your 20s to your 30s, you know, you you're care so much, you're worried so much about what people think of you. And from your 30s to the 40s, you say, who cares what they think of me? And when you get to your 50s, you realize nobody's thinking about you. <laughs> so what, what other people think about you is none of your business, and nobody's really thinking about you. So what other people have is none of my business. My business is what I have, what I need, what I want. My business is working and focusing on myself. What other people have, it's none of my business. Especially if I realize, he gave me everything I need. Sarki here doesn't just mean material things. He means, I might say, I wish I was as smart as the other person. I wish I was athletic or artistic. I wish I had as full a head of hair as the other person. <laughs> I wish I have whatever it is we look at the other person and we say, you know, if I only had that, I would be positioned to do great things. What I could achieve, what I could impact the world, the influence I could have, if only I have what they have. Says Revolba, that's a violation of this bracha. Shasali koltsarki. No, I have a mission and I have a job and I better believe that I am equipped with the tools and the capacity for to be able to fulfill the mission for which God put me here on earth. So that's a whole other sugya. How do I know what my mission is? How do I define it? How do I pursue it? How do I understand what it is? That's, that's exactly the parshios that we're reading right now. Hashem tells Avram, lech, go. He doesn't give him the coordinates. He doesn't tell him the destination. Where is he meant to go, says the Slonim Rebbe? Lech, where? Lecha. Go figure out who you are, who you're meant to be. Go figure out your mission. Go figure out your purpose. We make the mistake of waking up and thinking we all have the same purpose. And what is it? To look as pretty and to have as many things and to, we all generically. And you know, each subset or each subgroup who thinks that no, they're different, they don't conform, they have their own individual, they're all conforming to their own look of what they think, right? Each subset. So 
The whole mission in life is not to be a conformist. It's not to say that I'm going to define my mission by what my neighbor has or does, but who am I and what am I meant to be and what am I meant to achieve? Given my intellect, my socioeconomic status, my background, my DNA, my predispositions, given my opportunities, and given my liabilities and challenges, who am I and what am I meant to do? And for some people, my mission in life is to get to the end of the day and not indulge in the addiction that I have. For some people, it's to focus exclusively on a family and to raise healthy children with love, affection, and attention. That's the entire mission at the end of the day. And others, the mission is to cure cancer or make world peace or everyone has their own mission. And if I define myself by your mission, Islam Rabbi says that has a name. You know what that's called? Avodah Zarah. We usually think of Avodah Zarah as idolatry to a foreign god. He redefines it. Avoda. If I think that my avoda, that my mission in life is, I'm defining it by yours, it's an avoda which is zara, which is strange. It's foreign to me. It's not what I'm meant to be doing. Can you imagine? I think I've given this example before. You walk into the gym and you look at somebody else who's got bulging muscles and they're bench pressing 4,000 pounds. So you say, you say to the person from the gym, set the weights to 4,000 pounds for me. Because the other person's benching 4,000 pounds, you should bench 4,000 pounds. Do you know the other person's DNA? He's the son of a bodybuilder, the son of a bodybuilder, the son of a bodybuilder, the son of a bodybuilder. Do you know that he's been working out from in utero, in the womb? He was already, he was bench pressing the placenta in the womb. Do you know that? And you decided to start working out at 57 years old and you come into the gym and you see he's doing 2,000 pounds, set the weights to 2,000 pounds. Forget, you'll end up with a crushed uh, skull. You'll end up in the emergency room. But how many of us do that in life, if not in the workout room, if not physically with weights, we do it in life. I want to dive in like that. I want to learn like that. I want to be calm like that. I want to have volunteer time like that. I want to give like that. I want to, we see what someone else has or does, and it's an avodazara. We say, I want that to be me. But do you come from the same background? Have you put in the same time? Are you an amateur that are a professional? What's the background? So if you do an avoda which is foreign to you, if you think your life mission is something which is not what it's meant to be, if lech, if you've gone, but not lecha, you've not gone to a journey of self-discovery, you've gone to discover others and to want to be cheap and poor imitations of them, then you're an imposter. It's an avoda which is zara. It's fake. It's foreign. Our mission is lech lecha. Figure out who you are, what you're meant to do, who you're meant to be. We don't do that today in this world. Life is moving way too fast and there's way too much noise and interference that we don't have the space or the margin to stop and to think and to say, given who I am, what's my background, what are my predispositions, what stage of life? And by the way, you have to readdress this, if not annually, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily. It's a question which you never stop asking because life doesn't stop changing. Who you are and what your mission was is going to be very different when you're a teenager and when you're an adult. It's going to be different when you're working and when you're retired. It's going to be different when you're single and if you want and you're married. It's going to be different if you don't have children and if you have children. At every stage of life, the answer to that question is going to change. So we have to keep asking it. We have to stay on that journey of lech lecha. What am I meant to do? Who am I meant to be? Who I'm meant to be is not just get through the end of the day having had the most pleasure and accumulated the most things. You know what that leads to? It's counterintuitive. You'd think that if I determined that that's what I'm meant to do and who I'm meant to be, then I'm going to be the happiest. I spent the whole day being a pleasure seeker and I spent the whole day indulging in myself, and I spent the whole day getting the most things, I should be the happiest, right? Well, if you look at life and you see all the research, you'll find that the people who define their day by those things are the least happy. And the people who live mission-driven lives, who wake up every day with what difference they could make, not how I could be a taker, how can I be a giver? 
those people, not what are my rights and entitlements, but what my duties and responsibilities. Those are the happiest people in life, the ones with the most meaning and purpose. So every day we got to wake up and say, Lech Lecha, who am I meant to be today? Who am I meant to be today? Not every day is the same. Who I'm meant to be today is to sit home and relax and catch up and sleep and pay the bills. That's what I'm meant to be today, is to take a day off, because otherwise I'm going to burn out. But who I'm meant to be tomorrow is to get out of that house bright and early, to jump out of bed and to make a difference in this world, to show up at my volunteer or the committee or the board or the person who needs me or to check in on the person who's all alone. That's my job today. Every day it changes, but it can't be in Avodah Zarah. Why am I saying all this? Says Ravo, because that's the bracha shasali kol tzarki. Whatever my job or mission is, I have the tools to do it. I've been empowered to be able to do it. Kodesh Baruch Hu gave me the wherewithal for whatever my mission is. Whatever my mission is. And that's the kavana. That's the kavana. When you go home, take a highlighter, take out your sitter. Hope you have a sitter. Take out your sitter. Take out a highlighter, take out a pen, and underline Sha'asali Kotsarki. And that's our, that's our homework. That for the next whatever period of time, that that's our kavana. I'm not absolving you from kavana, the rest of davening. But I'm saying, let's all, Sha'asali Kotsarki, jump out of our skin and say, that's right, I forgot. Stop looking at what anyone else has. Stop comparing or competing with how anyone else is living their life. All I need to be focused on is who am I and what am I meant to be doing and who am I meant to be and what difference am I meant to make and then feel satisfied and gratified and grateful that Hashem, you gave me everything I need in order to be able to do it. Hamidos atchunos, all the character traits, all the skills. There's no makam. So, says Ravoba, this, this last sentence is the most, if you had your highlighter here, I would tell you, highlight this line. This is the most important line in this paragraph. There's no room for envy or jealousy in a life of Amuna. A person who wakes up every day and the Hashkarish Baruch of the Rebbe the Almighty is their best friend. Remember we spoke last week, the Baal Shem Tov, his example of, do you hear the music? If you watch people dancing and gyrating, but you don't hear the music, they look like fools. But if you hear the music, you just want to jump on the dance floor. So if you're living a life where you hear the music and you're dancing with others, then there's no competition, there's no envy, there's no dance-off going on. But if you don't hear the music and there's no Akkadosh Baruch Hu, then you look around at what everyone else has and what everyone else does. So if you want to conquer jealousy and envy, says Ravobe, quoting Rav Chaim Vital, again, the answer is not to focus on envy. We could sit here all day and dissect and study and analyze and read studies and, stu- and, and anecdotes and, and research about envy. How do you break envy? But the answer to breaking envy is not to focus on envy. The answer to break envy is to focus on emuna. The more you feel and see and welcome Hashem into your life, the less you're going to struggle with looking at or focusing on what other people have is none of your business. What they think of you is also none of your business. Midas Let's go weiter. Let's go a little bit more. So the next character trait. Kina vegava hin midas ruchnios. Envy, jealousy, and arrogance are spiritual character traits. But the desire, the appetite for food, if you're a foodie, and the similar physical appetites, desires, and lusts, they come from the fact that we are material, physical beings. And therefore, it's very difficult to break them. In other words, a spiritual defect, if I emphasize and work on and promote and express spirituality, so, spiritual, can I get spiritual? If I work on emuna, I can break a spiritual defect, like envy or arrogance. But I like food. I really like potato chips. The later at night, the more delicious they are. So that, you know, I have all the emuna in Hashem, but he's not in the cabinet with me. And even Hashem loves Cape Cod, reduced fat, 
kettle cooked, delicious, crunchy potato chips. Even a Kosh Baruch Hu likes them late at night. So if I focus on Amuna, I'm not necessarily going to be able to conquer my taiva, my, my appetite, right, for, for potato chips. It's difficult, Levat Lan, it's difficult to be able to break them. Where do you put a, if you look at the footnote 5, Taiva Lamam and Enon of Asmikoch is a goof, the Ka Levat Amuna. Where would you put money? If there are spiritual defects, like arrogance and envy, and there's physical defects, like overeating and so on, where would you place money? The Taiva for money. The desire for more money. Is that a physical defect or a spiritual defect? So he says in the footnote, it's not a physical defect. That that's also a spiritual defect. Which is very interesting to unpack that. By the way, probably not the same for everyone. So meaning if you don't know where your next meal is coming from or how you're paying the rent, the fact that you're thinking all the time about money is probably not a spiritual defect. I mean, it could be also. That if you have a muna, then you'll know that you'll have your next meal, that you'll have a roof over your head. But I can understand much more that if a person really, if a person really struggled or, or faced being homeless or being hungry, then money is not a physical defect but a spiritual one. But he's talking about what if somebody knows that I can pay the bills. I, I won't be homeless. I don't necessarily have the biggest house. I won't have the nicest car. I won't have the fanciest jewelry. I don't have the most robust bank account. But I know I could pay the bills. And still all you think about is money and all you want is more. That's not a physical defect. That's a spiritual defect. It's a spiritual virus. And that too can be broken through emuna. The more you realize there's a Hashem, He provides. I can let go and let God. He gives me what I need. I'll have what I need. The less you'll struggle with it. So back upstairs. Second sentence. So he says, you know, there's another challenge with breaking these qualities. Another challenge which compounds it, which is, that some of the challenges, the, some of these qualities we need, some of the qualities that we're trying to break, we said we don't want to do, that's the Kutzker. But some of these qualities that we're trying to fix, repair, we don't want to eliminate them entirely because they ha- can be harnessed and channeled for good and for the service of Hashem. What, let's say you break the taiva to eat altogether. We recently had a guest who I cannot relate to whatsoever. We might as well be from two planets in the universe who said, because we were talking about one of our children who hates eating, doesn't eat, you have to beg them to eat. It's like an enormous battle to get them to eat. I don't relate to that either. But this guest said, said, yes, she hates eating. She sometimes forgets to eat. And then she can get sick or malnourished because eating is just like it's a necessary evil. It's a waste of time. The things I want to be doing, and if I had to stop and interrupt and do that thing called eating, it's a total waste of time. She sometimes forgets to eat to the point that you know, I'm sure her blood sugar drops and you can get sick and you have to eat. So she has to set reminders or put a system in place together to remember to eat. Anyone here relate to that? No. Okay. <laughs> Not me. You know, I have to set timers and put systems in place to say, stop eating. Stop eating. Remember, you don't have to keep eating. It's okay. You're full. So... I'm not, I'm not minimizing. There are, I'm not suggesting that that's an eating disorder. There are eating disorders, and God forbid we shouldn't make fun of them or minimize them. But the point here is that let's say a person works on themselves, and I think hopefully we are working on ourselves in this area, and we say, you know what? I'm done. I'm not eating after 9 p.m. anymore. Potato chips at 8.59 for now on. <laughs> I'm not eating after 9 p.m. anymore, right? I'm only eating healthy things. I'm cutting out carbs and sugars. Whatever we say to ourselves, I'm working on that, if I, if I am too overzealous and I overachieve, then I can go in the opposite direction and forget to eat. And if I don't eat and I'm not healthy, then how do I serve Hashem? How am I there for my family? How am I there for the community? How am I there for myself? 
So his point is that when it comes to these physical challenges, if we're too successful, we can create a new problem just in the opposite direction. If you just crush the appetite altogether, you're not going to eat matzah on Pesach. You're not going to dip the apple in the honey. You're not going to eat kiddush, drink kiddush for, for Shabbos. On the other hand, you know the halach is? Matzah is a great example. Pesach is a great example. And it's still far enough away that nobody here is safe to bring up still. So, matzah. Do you know the halacha, the halacha is, the halacha is, that if you're already full when you eat the matzah, so when you eat the matzah, you're overeating, you're not yotzeh the mitzvah of matzah. The matzah has to be eaten l'tayavon. It has to be eaten with an appetite. If you're so full and you're so stuffed, you know the way you are when you say, I can't eat anymore, I'll never eat again, I feel disgusting, I need a wheelbarrow or a crane to remove me from the table, and then dessert is served and you say, ooh, I'll have three. <laughs> You know that eating where you're like, you're now out of breath from eating? The lifting of the fork to your mouth actually makes you out of breath because your stomach is so full, it's pressing on your diaphragm and you're literally out of breath from being that full. Nobody here knows what I'm talking about? Okay. So if you were to eat matzah at that point, you would not fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah. You're not yotze. That's what's called in halacha, achila gasa. You may not even violate Yom Kippur if you were to eat at that point because that's not called eating. That's not the halachic definition of eating. So, that's not eating, says Revolba. So, on the one hand, you can't forget to eat the matzah. Let's say you say, I don't have appetites anymore. I don't eat. Eating's a waste of time. You gotta eat. You gotta eat the matzah to fulfill the mitzvah. So, if you eat too much, you're too full, you can't fulfill the mitzvah. If you don't eat, you didn't fulfill the mitzvah. Like the three uh, bears, you gotta eat just the right amount. You have to have just the right amount of appetite. Hachisara mascha kishamafriz v'nimshach lecho yosam yatzorach. So Emunah is not going to help you here, says Revolba, in this great book about Emunah. Emunah is not the only answer here. So Emunah can absolutely solve and repair and strengthen and empower you to overcome the spiritual defects and faults. Arrogance, envy, ego, even anger, Amuna will help overcome all. But potato chips, Amunah's not going to work. But there is a way that Amuna can be your friend. The living with greater faith and knowledge and presence and mindfulness of Hashem in your life will help. And you know how they help you? In a circuitous way. It's so powerful. You know what the answer is? If you're living with Amuna, you're living a more spiritual life. And if you're living a more spiritual life, the less immersed and drawn you'll be to the physical pleasures of the world. So it is a powerful formula. So the truth is, when I think about anger, or I'm tempted towards envy, I just have to refocus emuna. When I'm worried about anxiety, I'm in the Uber, the from Uber, and I'm on my way to the airport and I think I'm gonna miss the flight, and my heart rate's going up and my pulse is going up and I'm absolutely bugging out, then I have to tap into the emuna muscles in me and say, deep breath, it's all for a reason to plan. It's going to work out. Whether it has the ending of making the flight or missing it, it was all for a reason. Their emuna is going to be your best friend. Your best friend. But when it comes to your diet and lifestyle and fitness, 
Amun is not the answer directly, but indirectly it is. And why indirectly is it? Because the more of a spiritual person you are, the less drawn you are to the physical. And the more you're drawn to the physical, the more you're going to struggle to be spiritual. There's a certain ratio that we have in our lives. We have, let's call it, 100 units of capacity. And if 80 of those units are filled with my pursuit of the physical, then I only have 20 units spared. 20 units of energy, 20 units of attention, 20 units of focus to be spiritual. If I'm 90% spiritual, 10 units of physical. That's why our holiest people, they, they lived the malam and ateva. They were just, they transcended this world. They ate in order to live. They didn't live to eat. They slept in order to serve. They didn't live in order to sleep. You know, I was just learning this morning in a different sefer that when it comes to sleep, sleep is a lot like food, but we don't think about it in that way. Just like when it comes to food, if I eat too little, I'll be malnourished. If I eat too much, it's unhealthy. The challenge in life is to figure out what's that right amount to eat. And that's why there's a whole industry of nutritionists. What are the, what's the caloric intake I need to have? What should the balance be of, of carb to, and so on? Protein, I've got to figure out what's the right amount. Too little, I'll get sick. Too much, I'll get sick. What's the right amount? Well, sleep is the right way, the Sefer says. We don't think of it this way because we like to think that you can never sleep too much. Mm -hmm. But there's a point at which if you're still sleeping, you've overeaten. You can overeat and you can oversleep. And you have to figure out what's the amount that you need. They don't teach you that in school. Did anyone ever bring up in school an exercise and to figure out has the, what's the right amount you need? The Safer, it's not a book, it's the Safer actually gives you a suggestion. It says, spend a week sleeping eight, nine hours a night. And then every week subtract half an hour and take notes on how you feel and figure out what's that amount that I need where I'm not groggy or angry or deflated or struggling. What's the amount that I'm energized but I don't need more? Sometimes you can oversleep and then you, that makes you too tired. So the point is when it comes to all these physical experiences, physical existence, physical life, there can be too little, there could be too much. Our challenge and mission is to find the right amount. And how do we do that? One of the things that's very helpful in order to be able to do that is the more spiritual we are, the less drawn and tempted we will be to that physical universe and to that physical world. Yes? I just have a practical tip that he's helped me with. Um, I grew up in a home where my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and my parents learned from that and they were very like, my grandparents used to collect every crumb, they would never waste food and I grew up with a lot of baltashlis in my mind. You know, like I can't waste, I can't waste and I always try to finish everything on my plate because I don't want to leave over. And he once taught me, which is really smart and it's helped me a lot, is that it's the same, it. it's the it. same Baal Tashlis. Like, I think I'm being all like, oh, I don't want to waste Hashem's food. He's saying it's the same Baal Tashlis in your mouth and stomach as it is leaving it over on the plate. Meaning if you're already full and you're just eating it because you don't want to waste Hashem's food, by putting it in your mouth when you've already been full and you don't really want to eat it but just feel bad leaving it over, it's the same wasting Hashem's food in your body than it was leaving it over on the plate. So... Whatever. Wow. I just wanted to add that because I think that's, that's been very, very helpful fun. about not overindulging. You think you're being so holy, but that's not something... Well, put differently, said. your mouth is also a garbage disposal. <laughs> you don't like to think of it in that way, but if your stomach is full, then your mouth is no different than the garbage disposal in the sink. It's just as much about Tashkos. You're just as much wasting no, it. So if you want to leave it over because you want to find some needy person who's, who's underprivileged and you're going to share it with them, if you're leaving it over because you're going to save it and have it another meal, then you're avoiding Baal but when you eat it to avoid baltashkas when you're full, then you're also putting it in the garbage. You're also putting it in the garbage disposal. So you've got to find that right amount. You know, that's a perfect example 
of, of the way our Yetzirah works. Really, you just want to finish what's on your plate. But you've convinced yourself that I'm doing a noble, spiritual, righteous thing. I'm a holy person because I don't waste. And therefore, I'm stuffing my face in holiness. But really, it's, um, it's just as much a waste. So let's just finish this for today. So he said, actually, you know, we'll pick up with this next time. But again, the idea that emuna won't necessarily help diet or lifestyle, but it helps indirectly because the more we're living with emuna, the more spiritual people that we are, the less drawn we are to the physical world. And we, in that ratio, in that proportion, we're going to shift the balance to be more spiritual. And the mela, when we're more spiritual, we're going to different, lead different quality lives. Have a wonderful week.